Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the podcast HodgePod, and I have another special guest, another author I'm looking forward to talking to today, and his name is J.V. Hilliard. He is an author. He's also a magazine owner, and uh, he's got some other things feet in the fire, and I can't wait to talk to him. J.V., thank you very much for joining me on my podcast tonight. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. Have, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into writing, and then we can get into the series that you have here because uh, you are a busy person this year. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, the 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 writing thing came later in life. You know, my uh, I've always wanted to be a writer, uh, and my love for fantasy adventure started when my fourth grade English teacher read us The Hobbit. Um, you know, at the end of the year is sort of like a going away present. I fell in love with the genre then. Uh, but, you know, I started to love writing when I was younger. My uncle was a Marine and he was paralyzed uh, in mm -hmm. the war. And my mother became his nurse. And I grew up at his bedside. I was sort of, he was like a second father to me. And he was very limited in what he can do. And one of the things he could do was write. It was a form of escapism for him. So mm -hmm. he ended up writing like horror stories and pulp fiction that ended up getting into local magazines and some serials and, and stuff like that. And I just wanted to follow in his footsteps, but you know, life takes over and I ended up uh, becoming a DC lobbyist. I, I was doing defense and technology work for about 20 years and then COVID hit. Uh, and I came home and I like DC was shut down for like 18 <laughs> months and my wife's waving her finger at me. She's like, you are not sitting around doing nothing. You'll drive me crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I own three businesses uh, it's with me. You better find something to put your energy into. And so I decided, you know, bucket list time. And I and I and I kicked the bucket and and went in there and you know took took a look at what I wanted to do and it was right. And I returned to what I wanted to do ever since I was younger. And I put together a manuscript and I shared it with a, an associate professor friend of mine. And she hmm. said, "This is a great book. Let me send it to an editor." And that editor said, "Hey, you know what? You need a publisher." He sent it on to them and publisher said you know we don't publish one-offs in fantasy we do series so i'll sign you but you've got to sign for three books which has now become a four book series uh and it's gone very well and so that's sort of like the soup to nuts a to z about where i came from why i liked um you know wanted to always be an author in the strange circumstance of maybe the silver lining mm. in the covid cloud was you know my opportunity to do so and now i'm having a great time doing it so you went from uh, working for somebody and you're now your own boss. So that must be a lot more freedom for you as well. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I've always, I've been my own boss since I was 28. You know, I, I started my own company, uh, you know, and just, I, I've never looked back. I've really enjoyed it. Now I've owned three companies, but I treat my authorship as its own business, right? I look mm -hmm. at me as my brand and I look at my books as my product and I treat it the same way. I created my own LLC for it. I do my own social media stuff around it. I have a publisher that I partner with, of course. But ultimately, you know, I treat it in the same way I would treat any of my other businesses. It's got to be a profit center. We have a budget for marketing. Yeah. We can't stuff. It's a startup. You know, that kind of stuff you go through. So I, I, I really enjoy doing it. And I found that... Um, it keeps me awkward. They slow down at times. This keeps me disciplined because I, you know, I have to meet my quotas, right? I got to It's just like anything else. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Well, you know, you mentioned discipline and, and a lot of authors I've spoken to on my podcast. It's all about the discipline of writing. I don't think I could be an author because I would find something to do to 
keep me preoccupied. Yeah, you're, uh, you're, some of the authors I've had on my podcast second. have uh, taken between two and 12 years to write books. So uh, what is the discipline for writing the book and how do you do that? Do you just like spend time or do you, if you come up with an idea, do you just like start writing? How does that work? So there's typically two types of authors. There are folks that are planners and plotters like me. And then there are folks that are called pantsers and they write by the seat of their pants. Like Stephen King is the most famous pantser. <laughs> like he could literally sit down and start writing a story and it just kind of goes everywhere. But like for, for me, I've, I've always kind of taken a more of a analytical look at it. And I start my, I don't have writer's block often because I've already planned a story. And then it's just a matter of filling in the blanks. And so I'll create my own story arcs. I'll create my own character arcs. I've got a big whiteboard in my office where wow. these things kind of, you know, connect and intersect. And it's really like an engineering project is the way I treat it. Really? You know? And so sometimes I even, I even write my books backward to forward. I, I will, I'll write the end first, then I go back and write the beginning and then I fill in the blanks in the middle. And mm. that way, everything I know is like, I've got two bookends and everything's got to fit within those two bookends where other authors, these pantsers are, are folks that can just sit down and start writing. And sometimes they get derailed because they can't figure out the ending or they don't know something. And so, you know, I don't have those problems, but I do have those problems. They manifest in the beginning. Like if you said to me, here's three words, go write a story. I, I would freeze up. Like, I can't do that. They have the talent to do that. It's just not my style. My style is plan, plan, plan. Okay. We're ready to go. And maybe that's a military thing where it's like, Hey, we're going to invade but we have to have an exit strategy right. so we know how to get off this beach. Right. Like, you know, so you know how to, you're getting out before you go in. And that's the same thing here. Like I know the end of my story before I start writing the beginning and, and uh, look, it, everybody has their own ways. That's the way it works for me. And, you know, I'll, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Cause I've uh, interviewed some nonfiction authors and some fiction authors. And I always wonder, you come up with like the plot first and then the characters, but you said you come up with the plot first and then the characters based around the plot. Is that correct? Did I understand you correctly? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. For me, it's the story. And then how do those characters fit into the story? And, you know, cause like, look, I think if you have a good idea for a story and you know where it's going to go, you can build the characters from that. Um, and look, I'm not going to lie to you. There are times where a character will lead something where, you know, I, I've got a great idea for a character he or she is going to put them into my plot, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do, how do they fit in moment or the, um, and you could do that too. I just prefer plotting it out saying, this is how the story is going to go. And mm -hmm. then weaving them in as part of it. Interesting. So you, uh, well, we can discuss your book series here, but you have a bit, you've been busy this year with your book. Uh, you've recently released a book this year, uh, your third book, but you also have another one coming up later this year. So what's the pressure like to uh, get these books I guess, pumped out in, uh, in, in timely fashion. Cause you have to meet deadlines. How does that uh, factor into your writing? Well, you know, it, it, again, uh, as a planner, I, I give myself enough time between books, but what I, what I learned was, you know, this industry is a little different, uh, you know, than it used to be. And what I mean by that is there are folks out there that release books very quickly. And, and it's because people consume them differently than they used to. There were times where, you could take a year or two between books and then launch the next one. Those times are long gone. Now they call it rapid release where they, wow. there's an expectation that an author is going to have a follow-up within a quarter, you know, and in some cases those books come out once a month when you're writing Epic fantasy, like I do, 
it's it's nearly impossible. Like you, you know, I my books are at the average five hundred pages, you know, one hundred fifty thousand words. You can't write that in a month. You just physically it's it's physically impossible wow. to write it, go through the editing, get it published, and get it promoted. It's just not going to happen. So we look at it in six month spurts. You know, and if we have a book that's coming out around every six months, that's going to be good enough for us. But part of it is a cultural thing, right? Like millennials and Gen Z don't have the attention span for waiting that long. And they'll drift away from you as as part of your readership. They're used to binge watching Netflix and right. having immediately everything downloaded on their phone the minute mm-hmm. they want it. They're not used to waiting. And so there's a demand that is moving the market in a way that will requires you to write fast. And I'm not George Martin, like game of Thrones. What is it? Seven years since and he still hasn't finished that book. I'm not that guy. Right. So in order for my readership to keep pace and be loyal and want to buy the next one, I've got to have the next product out. And so again, I, I look at it in that framework and understand that, look, I got to make, I've got to make deadlines, which, which means I've got to get my book done in, in three months it'll go through two months worth of editing and beta reading. And then it goes through publication process. And, you know, every six months is going to be another book out, but, you know, as this series ends, my plan is to put out a couple of shorter novellas about some of the origin stories of the more popular characters. Like when I'm at a convention somewhere or a book signing, um, or I'm giving a speech, I always get asked about the same two or three characters. So what I'm going to do is, you know, use some downtime to recharge the battery between series one and series two Mm -hmm. and write these one-off books about the origin stories of those popular characters. And those I can pump faster, right? Because they're not going to be as long. They might be 180 pages or 220 pages instead of 500 pages. It's just a backstory on someone and it keeps the readers happy because they're reading something about the realm of Warminster. They're reading something that keeps them in the game. And then when it's time for the next series to come out, Laura already knows secrets about these characters that they didn't know. And, you know, and so that's sort of like the, the strategy for the next one. And, and so maybe 2024 is more of these origin stories and then a real kind of restart 2025 for the next series. So you mentioned conventions. Do uh, you, you travel around the country for your, your series? And uh, how does that go? Uh, yeah, I do. So I there's a variety of events that as authors you end up going to. And it depends on the kind of author you want to be, right? Like for me, I I mentioned before that I have this serial entrepreneur bone in my body. And so traveling out there to meet readers and promote my stuff is important, uh, especially because I'm not one, of, I'm not with one of the big four, big five uh, publishing houses where they, they've got unlimited budgets and things like that. So for me, I go to GalaxyCon, I go to Comic-Con, I go to libraries, I go give speeches at community colleges. I go to find book clubs. I, you know, I'll go to a you know, bookstore and do a book signing. All of those things grow your readership. And it also exposes your product to uh, readers that might not know about you. And if you're there and they get a chance to meet you, chances are they'll follow you on social media. They'll follow, they'll buy the next book. They'll forfeit, they'll give you their email address so you can tell them in your newsletter when the next book is coming. And so there's business strategies around it that but I also function really well in situations like that. I love getting up in front of it. Uh, but like this Galaxy Con I'm doing in Raleigh uh, next week, um, I'll be down there Thursday through Sunday. Uh, I have two speaking engagements. 
off hours after the convention shuts down for the night and wow. I'll just be out there, um, you know, talking to a bunch of nerds and geeks and that want to talk about my books and, you know, talk about being an author and what it takes and all that kind of stuff. And then the next day they'll come and find me and buy the books, you know, and that's the hope is that, you know, through that exposure, I get in front of readers and consumers in this case. Interesting. Because I was talking to my brother for a previous episode we recorded the other night and he uh, he's a he's down. He works at the convention center in uh, Broward County in Fort Lauderdale. And he was talking about Comic-Con down there. So um, he, I guess he has uh, those those shows down there and he says they're very popular. So uh, I know they are. So what's it like when you go to these shows, um, seeing the fruits of your labor with the people who want to meet you and you meet the readers? What is that like? That must give you some satisfaction because, uh, you know, when when you see people up close and they read your book, that must really uh, make you feel good. I, I got to be honest. It's humbling uh, is the word I would use to describe it. It is, mm -hmm. it, you know, I've had people do fan art for me and bring it to the conventions or a bookstore and say, this is what I, I drew this. This is what I think one of your characters looks like. Does this match <laughs> for you? And most times it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? And so I end up putting that on my website and promote their stuff. Uh, I've had people write poetry about some of my uh, my characters. I even had one guy, and you want to talk about a humbling moment because uh, I'm a sports cards. I'm a, I'm a big sports guy, and I collect all sorts of sports cards and collectibles and things like that. This guy comes up to me in Richmond, Virginia, a couple of months ago at a, at a convention that was there, and he makes his own baseball cards of authors that he want that he likes their stuff. And then makes their own baseball card. So on the front, there was a picture of me. Uh, and on the back, I had my stats, you know, and it was like, here's the books he had. Da, 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 da. And then he asked me to autograph my own baseball card. And when he came up to show it to me, he had it in like these, you know, the binders where you collect cards with yeah, the, yeah. the top loaders and stuff. He had it there with all the authors that he's he's read and loved enough to make a baseball card for them and came to me and asked me to sign it. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, and so it goes even beyond entertainment. Like in the beginning, you you hope that you entertain people. Like you're writing the book because you think it's a good story, and you want people to buy yeah. into it and and really say, "Hey, you know what? I, I really enjoyed reading this stuff. It made a difference." But when you see it really make a difference, where you know someone comes to a convention in a costume for your character and they seek you out and they say, "Hey." I dressed up like Sir Ritter of Vulcaneer because wow. I really liked his character or I dressed up like Princess Adeline Elspeth. And do you like my red hair and my red eyes? And it's humbling, man. It is That's really awesome. It, 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 but it makes you feel it, like they cared enough and you made a difference as, as corny as that might sound. You made a difference for somebody like they cared enough to travel, spend money, dress up, come in, buy a ticket to come to the event seek you out find you and then buy your stuff and ask you to autograph it and if that doesn't grab the heartstrings yeah. i don't know what is and i'll tell you that to your point earlier it is energizing brother like i if you do that you know that that to me is worth another six hours of sitting there not selling another book because i'm writing the next one next one i'm remembering that i'm sending you a thank you note like all the kind of stuff you want to do uh and it just makes you feel like the time that you put into it and the risk you took in doing it is yeah. paying off and it feels good that someone else cares enough about that. Well, you got me uh, interested in uh, sport trading cards. Uh, I used to collect cards as well. And uh, last year I dumped the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. It was a 5.5. It wasn't mint condition, but I got a pretty good price for it. But yeah, I wish I would have been. Was it mint tops condition. or OPG or what was it? It was tops. Do you remember? It wasn't OPG because okay. OPG was like skyrocketing. 
Uh, but uh, I got yeah. a good I got a good amount for it. But the tops, you know, could have could have gotten more. But uh, I sold it at a card show and uh, got cash, and it was like fine. Oh, good um, for you, man. I couldn't, uh, you know, I had a Larry Bird card as well. Getting off subject here, and I sold that one. That's <laughs> all right. And then and the guy and the guy probably sold it for four hundred, but I had to dump it. I, I just I, I wish I would have kept it a little bit longer, but that's another story. So but uh that's great about the trading card because uh you know people invest their time to seek you out. That 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 is definitely uh like you said humbling. So I, I think that's awesome. Um who do you get your inspiration from? Do you get inspiration from other authors? Do you get inspiration from like movies or TV or anything like that for your book that made you uh you know evolve your your book series? So there's, there are authors that I've been following for many years, you know, like Tolkien is the granddaddy of them all. He, without him, there would not be a fantasy adventure genre, you know, and, but more of his contemporaries are people like Margaret Weiss from Dragonlance or R.A. Salvatore from the Dark Elf trilogy, or, you know, Terry Brooks, Sword of Shannara, the Shannara series, uh, or like Wheel of Time or, you know, Sarah Moss's new stuff. And, and it's, 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 everybody has their own spin on it. They create their own worlds and, and so do I. So my, what, I can't use Middle Earth. I can't use Westeros. You know, I can't use Kryn or, you know, uh, you know, any of the stuff that they, so I created the Realm of Warminster. Uh, and, but I, I do find inspiration there as well as in real life. Uh, like I have, like one of my, one of the characters in my book is an old dog of mine. You know, everybody <laughs> likes the, I, I, I had this crazy lab I mean, he was literally not, he was, he was a Terminator. He got hit by a car twice and did more damage. He had no vet bills. I had to pay the guys like he just ran into the car and, and like, he's crazy. So I made him a war dog and his, the character that ha it rides him in the battle is this little hobbit that's basically on steroids that has this blue mask and he's a crazy barbarian guy. <laughs> And he's comic relief. And, you know, you think about it. And I think that authors have a tendency to be very observant people. And when you see something that's outlandish or you see something that's really memorable and you can put a spin on that, like Jericho, that dog, the only, I mean, he was 14 years old, had beaten cancer, like, and then he got cancer, came back, wow. we had to put him down. But I'm telling you, man, he, he, he was good. Or my wife and her friend came to me with the dumbest idea of all time for a character. They wanted this they were calling it the Gemini twins and you could have put this in the book. You got to put this in the book. And I was, I'm like sitting there thinking to myself, man, that is so dumb. But what if, you know, this happened to be these Gemini twins were actually conjoined twins and they just happened to be, uh, you know, prostitutes and they lived in this brothel called the twin snakes. And they were kind of like, they would trade and sell, not just this weird kind of crazy sex with a conjoined twin, but they would also, uh, but, you know, selling you know information to the bad guys, right? Because they were like, you know, the bad street urchin types. And I, I wrote, I called him the Ophidian, and I put it in my second novel. And people love the character. They're like, oh, that's so twisted. How did you get that to work? And I, and I didn't realize until it was written and published that I had turned my wife and her best friend into a prostitute. You know, oh, and they're, they're reading the book, and I will never ever live <laughs> that down. And they said they'll never give me another idea ever because they know i'll just twist it in my dark fantasy kind of head awesome. and i'm like no no we're done we're done so like even that like you you see a movie you read a book you see something happen in real life and you're like oh man that should find its way into a book we got to memorialize that some way and you you grab something like that and you 
you make it your own and and all of a sudden you know you get the ophidian <laughs> that is like stuff. that's insane yeah. that's awesome i like that that's a great story there about your <laughs> dog as well my goodness that's awesome so uh what talk about the warminster series and what um when did the first book come out and then uh, how has that evolved like the last year and uh if you want to talk about a little bit about the series yeah, sure. So the first book came out uh, December of 2021. Uh, it was called The Last Keeper. Uh, and it was the first of a four book series of the Warminster Saga. And the concept behind it is the two main characters are sort of the tropish sort of like chosen one versus the false prophet, right? And Damus Alaric, who is the main character is a 20 something year old uh, kid that's being trained at the Cathedral of the Watchful Eye, which is a place where people that have the ability to have the sight go basically oracles and seers and things. And Damus gets his visions from their God of, of knowledge uh, when he sleeps like a modern day Edgar Casey. And uh, he starts having visions of a fallen member of his sect coming back to take vengeance on them because he was cursed by them 20 years ago, but he's not just coming back to take vengeance on the sect. He's coming back to take vengeance on Damus and Damus doesn't know why. And so great Taurus, the mad, and Damus are on this collision course uh, that's, you know, kind of like arch enemies. And the main character has no idea what he did because when he was, you know, excommunicated from the sect um, and, and thrown out and has this curse put on him, mm -hmm. um, Damus was one years old. Right. And, and so like he has to figure out why he's coming after him. Uh, and that's how the, the, the book starts. And at the end of book one, Damus realizes that all, all the other keepers, these keepers of the forbidden knowledge that, you know, you sage advice to kings and queens and barons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He's the only one left that has that sight because the fallen keepers coming back to, to claim vengeance. And so therefore he's the last keeper, you know, and so that it, the, the, uh, the series goes on from that. And Damus evolves as a character where he starts to mature and learns to harness his powers. And then he eventually confronts, you know, great Taurus several times during the series until the big epic battle at the end. Right. So, you know, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, if you're into Lord of the Rings or game of Thrones, or you've played Dungeons and Dragons, you'll recognize a lot of the, uh, the scenery, you know, I use my own monsters. I create my own realm. I've world built. I use my own currency, own spell system. Everything is unique. But if you were a D and D guy or you're a fan of, of traditional fantasy genre tropes you'll get it you know you'll mm -hmm. fall you'll feel very comfortable in reading the series i'm gonna have to get uh acclimated because uh i'm gonna definitely uh get acclimated i'm gonna try to read this this series of yours because uh it sounds very fascinating it's pretty awesome um it's uh it's quite extraordinary cool, man have, thank you very much and uh what about um you have another book coming out later this year so you're pretty like i said you're pretty much putting a full court press on these uh these releases so uh, how's the how's the tour going right now for the one here in July? Because I, I see that you are very busy. Yeah, so that one releases next week right before the convention, the big convention down in Raleigh. So uh, I'm excited about that because that's book three. And that sets up the final ending. The book four, which is called Echoes of Ghostwood, uh, will come out um, at right before the holidays here in 2023. And it'll complete the first series. So uh, you know, th that's, that was kind of the goal. We're on target to meet that goal. Uh, and it's, it's gotten, you know, really strong reviews. And I, and I mean that in the sense that I've already licensed my intellectual property from the series to an augmented reality and virtual reality video game company. And they're creating 
an really? AR game that'll be released in late 2024, and the VR version will come out in late 2025. I mean, and I'm in talks right now of converting the novels into a graphic novel series um, that will also launch in the 2025 timeframe. So I've got side projects that are going on as a result of the growing popularity of the novels and the wow. series. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's exciting because I, you get to see your creation in different media, right? So I never thought it would become a video game. People ask about, Oh, is it ever going to be a movie? You think about that. You never talk about it because it's just so far down the road. Right. right? But when you know the video game company came and they said, you know, we like the rich content. It's, you know, there's a lot of detail here. We can do something with these characters and these monsters and no one has ever seen them. So let us take it from here and we'll make it an AR game and then we'll turn it into a VR game. Uh, and that company's already teamed with Niantic, which makes Pokemon Go. So it's like they've oh my got gosh. millions of. Yeah, it's just it's really teed up nice for a uh, fourth quarter launch in 2024. And I get to sit back and do nothing. You know, it's Something? funny, like I, the, the most I do. Yeah, the most I've done on this project is storyboard. Like they're like, you, you get these technologists and these coders and they're like, tell us about this character. Tell us about this town. Tell us about how they cast magic. Tell us about how, you know, the currency, because as you're building your character, it's like any other kind of like, I don't know if you're a gamer or not, but if you are, you're building an RPG. You basically have, you create your own avatar, you choose the class of the avatar, and then you level up, right? And it's the same kind of thing that goes mm -hmm. on in the novels and they play through what I would say is sort of a cannibalized version of the plot, right? It's not the same thing. Uh, it just can't ever be the full thing, but, you know, ultimately they, you know, people get to create their own avatars and live through it as, as part of it. And then, um, you know, they get to play the video game for it. And, you know, for me, just sitting back and saying, this will work guys, this really doesn't work. Or if you're going to do that, let me know because there are, there are things that you're going to create plot holes over here. So for me, it's just basically like, tell us about this character. Tell us about the city. Cause, so, cause you as a gamer could meet the main characters in the video game, mm -hmm. you know, and they can give you hints and they can help you in battle and they can give you magic and all this kind of stuff. And it's, wow. it's a way to popularize not only the characters, but if you're a video gamer, you might now go buy the book. If you have the books, you might want to go play the video game. So it's a, it's another source of revenue, but I think more, more than, more than that, it's, it's seeing the art form take another form, another medium. In this case, it's a video game. Same thing with the graphic novel. Like that is, I'm a nerd. You know, seeing, you know, what I take three pages in words and someone putting that into one singular box and a picture and making you feel like you've read all those words while just looking at one illustration. Wow. That is, it's, a, it's, an own, its own art form, you know, and I... For me, it's like it's fun to be part of that, to see it. And they're sending me pictures and you're like, oh, that, that looks exactly the way I thought. And they're getting it from what I've read, you know, and you just feel good when you when you see. And they're like criminal, like sketch artists. I'm telling you, it is like nuts. You like you tell them what it is and they come back and they show it to you. And you're like, yeah, that's like 85 percent of what I told. It's really good. And here's wow. the kind of places where you can tweak. And all of a sudden, bam, you know, we're, we're into a graphic novel stuff. So it's, it's coming along really well, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it and it's fun to sit on the sideline and coach as opposed to being on the field sometimes. So basically do you get like final say of what uh, is on the, uh, the games um, or is that something left to the, uh, the technology folks? Well, I get a say, uh, but ultimately some of the things I want might not be possible technologically. Right. And I understand that. And I also understand that, you know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. 
And I'm smart enough to know if I don't know it, to leave it in the hands of the people that can do that. And, you know, if, if they have to make some changes and things like that, and it doesn't, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt the brand, mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. I don't have an ego like that. And if it, if something that has to change for the sake of it being a better game, totally fine with it. Uh, it's not like it has to be word for word. It doesn't have to be, the characters don't have to correlate. They could drop out some characters. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings books. And also a big fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. And they dropped characters out. They created new characters that weren't even all that important to the books. But they turned out well. And I know the difference. And if it's okay by Peter Jackson and, and the, the, <laughs> the Tolkien estate, it's okay by little old me. I'll be just fine. So, yeah, the answer is uh, yes. I, I, I do have say. But ultimately, um, there's a give and take there with the negotiation. And, and sometimes I just, I'll just step out of the way and let them do what they got to do. So, uh, you know, uh, when you said uh, you have the, these new facets now for your book, um, the school, uh, the old school is the book, and now you're enhancing the experience of the book with these new features now. That's really going to be uh, it's going to be like on steroids for the book. I mean, that's going to be a huge, uh, huge undertaking, and you're going to see the fruits of your labor probably in the next couple of years. You know, that's the hope is that that, that turns into revenue and popularity uh, and that that will also kind of spur the next series. And mm-hmm. uh, as more and more people follow, you know, that's really where I want to be. It, it would, it makes it easier for me to then write the next stuff and, you know, ho- hopefully be able to promote it easier. And, um, you know, and then I'll go from a C list guy, you know, at a local comic con to a B list guy somewhere and make my way up. So that right I can to the A-list. getting paid to show these things. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, that's the hope is like, you know, and it's incremental, right? You, you don't, you can't start at the top. Uh, right. So for me, I look at it and say, you know, hey, you know, I'll earn my way there. And if people like it and it's really that good of a product, they'll buy in and it'll just take some time. And it's, you know, you know, it's just keeping your head down and nose to the grindstone. Excellent. Excellent. And you're also owner of a magazine. What's the name of the magazine? I find that Altered Reality Magazine. What is tailed with that? And does that deal now? I'm not uh, technically advanced in some areas. Does that have something to do with like virtual reality or AI or anything of that nature? No, no. It's actually uh, Altered Reality Mag is an online e-magazine that promotes speculative fiction and poetry. So if you're an author of sci-fi or dystopian fantasy or fantasy adventure or the gothic or things that are speculative we are in many instances the first portal of publication for authors and artists and poets that they send us you know um they send us uh submissions every month and we will print an online magazine on the 15th and 30th of every month and we have a quarterly magazine that you can download as a pdf all of which is free you know we get paid when our sponsors pay us to list their books on the site or, um, you know, on the right rail, we'll have thumbnails on the bottom right rail for some of our sponsors and things like that. But our authors and our poets come in. And in most cases, you know, they've been trying to get published for a long time. And whether it's through a publisher or they're trying to find a literary agent, we provide that first portal of publication for them. And so they will list them on the site. We promote them. We cross promote them on social media. Uh, We even had one uh, poet this year up for a national award, uh, and the idea there is, you know, it's a forum for people that like to read our stuff and want to write our stuff. Uh, and so for me, it's just, you know, we get about 160, 170,000 views a year. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's you know, not a paltry sum, 
uh, it's not a big magazine by far, but you know, the idea behind it is that it's kind of like a twilight zone, you know? So if you write anything like I write, um, you know, and, or you like the kind of stuff you want to write a vampire novel, you want to write something about zombies or some Loch Ness monster, or you just got something scary or, or you, you know, a dystopian, like, you know, like mm-hmm. a, you know, more like a ready player one, this is a home for you. And we, we publish all that kind of stuff. And then, thematically on a quarterly basis we'll do that free pdf download uh where we you know put together a full magazine uh and you know you can download it or you can you know just visit the site and see it. it's up there permanently you mentioned the twilight zone were you a fan of the twilight zone i was a big fan of old school twilight zone yeah. and then the newer the newer ones like the tales from the crypt and stuff they were okay yeah uh, but i'll tell you the one i like a lot and if you haven't watched it i would encourage you to do it if you're a fan is black mirror on netflix it is like the nouveau avant-garde new twilight zone and you know the idea behind it is you know just like twilight zone you enter into these episodic uh you know vignettes and they have a famous person in every one of them yeah, and that famous person's usually the misanthropic adventurer that finds <laughs> their way through this modern day twilight zone, right? Uh, and it's it there's indictments on everything with technology or things. The idea behind the black mirror is you're looking at your the badness in the face of what we are becoming, uh, and so like the you know most of these these you know thirty sixty minute shows are about bad things that are happening with technology and abuse of technology and right. what what's good, bad, ugly, and uh, and what we can expect down the road from things like AI or from things like, you know, augmented reality or virtual reality or what, what social media has done to people. And, you know, it's, it's just so much. I think we're on season five and it just kicks butt. And it, it is like the, this, this generation's twilight zone is what I would describe it as. You know, Twilight Zone, getting off the subject, you know, they had the 60s and then they had another run, I think, in the late 80s or early 90s. And I think I remember yep. Tom Hanks on one of the episodes, too, or Tales from the Crypt. He was on one of those episodes. And then a couple of years ago, right before COVID, CBS came out with the Twilight Zone as well. So I've been watching some of the ones from a few year, couple of years ago. And uh, they're really like Joel McHale was on one of them and they were in a submarine or something like that underneath water. It was just like all these actors are like comedians and they play serious parts. I kind of like that, uh, that integration, how they do that. They put them in different characters. I really like that. So um, yeah, twilight zone is definitely makes you think, but now with AI, like you said, they're uh, they, you know, you know, deep fake, you know, now deep fake is a big word now. And uh, with uh, making people like they had like the fake Tom Cruise, you see these fake Tom Cruises on deep fake. And it's really, it's really <laughs> yeah. scary. It's really scary. <laughs> So, but uh, it is, it's just going to get out of control, it, you know, and that's what these, these shows are sort of doing, right. They, they, they really, they're an indictment on that and, and without rules and laws around AI and, and other things, it's going to get out of control. We already see it. Like I'll have people submit to our magazine and, you know, you have to check and make sure it's not AI art or we have to say, yes, this could be AI art. And in the end you can get in trouble because, you know, it's basically scraping off the internet someone else's work and then creating something new from it. Mm-hmm. And I see that as, you know, like authors, I've had friends that are editors and ghostwriters that have lost work because people are using chat GPT or chat AI or these other things. They're writing the stuff for them. And you can tell, and now they've got stuff that can check and see 
if what was written was written from AI. So they've got like police of, of it now and you can buy these systems that allow you to do that. It's just, it's nuts. And it's just the beginning. It's literally just it's the scary. beginning of what this is going to be. It's so very scary. We have to be vigilant too. Oh, it's very scary. Because you, you literally, if I just said, you know, to chat GPT, write me a fantasy novel. These are the characters I want in it. Go. And it throws it back. And then you get a 60% version of what your final book. And you did no work. No work at all. And, and it went out and just grabbed stuff from my book and someone else's book and 30 other people's and put it together through its logic program and spit it out at you. And meanwhile, it's like, this looks kind of familiar. Like I've, I've read this before somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so you got to be careful with that stuff. It's just, especially in our business where plagiarism is a big thing. You got to, you have to be very really? careful. Plagiar- wow. That's incredible, man. Oh man. You have to worry about that as well. My goodness gracious. You know, mm-hmm. I read something online today. I didn't, I didn't read the story, but online, like uh, AI is going to be writing news for newsrooms now. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's getting out of control. You've, you've, you've got the, screenwriters guild and the strike that's in hollywood because they don't need to pay writers anymore they got chat gpt wow i'm not advanced it's, like it's, that, that, but that's it, what that's about it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> but, um, but uh so uh so, ne- so next week your your third series comes out is that correct your, your third book uh, thir- third book in the series yes third yeah book in the third series? book in the series it's the so, chilliest gambit yep and it it launches uh next thursday so the 27th so when you're at and when you're at the uh, the convention there, are you at the, at the convention center? Do you have a booth, or do you have like, or do you go to rooms where people come meet you and get autographs and things like that? How does that work? And uh, you know, you talked about how humbling it is, but how does that work? I always like the dynamics of all that. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of both. So I do have a booth. People can come and see me at the booth. They can buy uh, my products at the booth, my swag at the booth, and then there are times where you know, kind of off hours when the convention hall is closed, but the convention center is still open to like late night events. And so like, if you're a, a ticket holder of a certain magnitude, you get into these events for free, or you can buy tickets to get into them. And then, you know, they're either sessions like I've, I've at the last one I was at, I, I gave, I was part of a class that spoke to uh, what's it like to be a first time author or, or is it easier to draw something or write something and, you know, and you get you know a group of thirty or forty people to come and see you, and they ask questions. They get to know who you are, and awesome. you spend some time with them, and that helps you promote the books and things like that. Or you're like a judge at a costume contest, or uh, you know you get self promoted because they, they had this thing called Drunk Disney, uh, <laughs> and it literally is you know everybody gets two drink tickets. They're drunk before they they walk in, and then <laughs> there's these face offs, right? Where it's like, and I'm not kidding. They had a debate between the nerds that come to this convention, and I say that very lovingly, the debate was who would win in a war, the Smurfs versus the Care Bears, and they would fight it out drunk, you know? And it's just, it's it's hilarious, man. Like, it's things that you would never think. You're like, wait a minute. You've got like 160 IQ. You're writing code for NASA during the day. You're not wearing a costume on the weekend coming to see me, and you're going to fight the, the war between the Smurfs and the Care Bears. And you've got some people saying, well, how the... The Smurfs are, there's too many of them. They're going to overwhelm the Care Bears. And you get another guy, well, you, there's, a, there's a wish bear. And he could just wish all the Smurfs gone. And then you're the judge of that. Like, so who wins? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Have another drink. It's <laughs> yeah, like, I don't, I don't know who wins. It uh, sounds like one's a cheat, but it's like, and you have to judge that stuff. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's a way to get exposure for yourself, exposure for your books, and also get to meet readers and listen to what they like and what they don't like, you know? And you've got to be open to, 
constructive criticism and and uh, you know whether they give you a two star review or a five star review, you, you you can't care. You got to keep writing and learn from you know some of the things that some people don't like and don't make the same mistakes in other books. Yeah, constructive criticism is very good, and uh, who knows, you may inspire somebody that comes to one of those uh, conventions there and those little group sessions there, and uh, you may inspire somebody. So I think that's pretty awesome as well. So. Um, JV, I really enjoyed this uh, conversation about your books, your series, and your uh, your magazine, and just talking little other things. Um, I hope maybe when you get your fourth book uh, book in the series, you can come back on in the fall, and uh, love to have you back on I'd and talk about to. it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, see if I can get that first book and get into it, get delved into it. And uh, uh, I really appreciate your time tonight. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. If you froze up there, oh yeah, I'll, I'll let me? me just uh, let me just uh, I'll do edit there. It froze up. I'm sorry. I want to. I'll edit. Um, JV, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, maybe I can get you back on in the fall when your the fourth book in your series comes out, and we can talk about that. And uh, I'll get that first book and read it. I want to get delved into it, and uh, maybe we can talk some trading cards too. Uh, you know, me as well in, uh, in the fall, but uh, I, I really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed this conversation with a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, the feelings mutual. and I'd be more than happy to uh, come back on when book four comes out and thank you very much for the time tonight.